Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where we talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines. Um, we are in week 12 of our study of the letters of John, um, specifically his epistles or the short letters. Um, so we're looking at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Being in week 12, we are starting into 2 John this week. Um, you know, we've, we've just completed 1 John. We went through the big themes of that. The thing about these three letters is they were probably written really close to each other, so there's not a whole lot of new information in the sense of, like, he's talking about something very different than we covered before. First John is, like, the big explanation of everything, um, and it's explained even further and played out even further in, in the Gospel of John. Um, but Second John and Third John are much more personal, right? Whereas First John was written to be this, this, this homily, this, this sermon, basically, where it's a big, long thing to be passed around. Um, these two are written to specific groups or, or, or people. Second um, John was written to a specific uh, church. It was written to a church instead of a, a bunch of churches, like First John was. Um, but it deals with a lot of the same themes and topics and addresses a lot of the same problems. Um, and so very quickly, it's been, you know, like I said, several, several weeks in, since we've uh, since we talked about that. Um, but basically, John is writing at the end of his life. You know, the Apostle John was there when Jesus w was here. Like he was he was Jesus's cousin. He was one of his apostles. He was one of his inner three. Like he was somebody who was really close to Jesus and really like he, he saw it. He witnessed it. He, he was there. Um, he's the guy that from the cross, Jesus said, hey, take care of my mom, which, you know, that's a big deal to our, to us. Like if we're going to die, we want somebody to take care of people we love. But it's an even bigger deal back then because women honestly couldn't really survive on their own in the Jewish world of the first century, 2,000 years ago. Um, so, I mean, it, John is the guy that Jesus trusted with his mother. That's that's to tell you all you need to know about this guy. Um, and he he's he's one of the rare apostles, the rare of the 12. He lived into his old age. Most of them didn't. Most of them died very young or relatively young um, and very violently. John, John uh, lived into his old age, and so he's writing at the end of the first century. And again, right around the same time he wrote 1 John, maybe at the exact same time. We don't know for sure, but it, one would think that since they're so similar uh, just to different audiences. Um, and so you know, we're thinking it's at the end of the first century, and he's writing probably from the city of Ephesus, um, which is in southwestern Turkey. And it was one of the five jewels of the Roman Empire. So one of the five major, most important cities in the entire empire, and thus in the entire world. It's a very metropolitan city, a very active city. There was, you know, all the things that we associate with, you know, very active and first great cities, whatever that means, would have been there. You know, you had culture, you had art, you had science, you had education, you had health, you had all the cutting edge about like everything was there. And so he's writing here. And this is a city that, that the Apostle Paul had gone to before and initially planted Christianity there. Like God used Paul to really get the church going. But during Paul's lifetime, there was a big falling away from apostolic doctrine, which is a fancy way of saying like the right doctrine, right? Like these other forces had come in and kind of distorted it and led people astray from what the apostles, Jesus's students taught them that, you know, the things that Jesus taught them. Um, and so uh, time carries on after Paul, um, you know, is out of the area and people have turned against him. Uh, and there's a great exodus of Christians from Palestine because of the Jewish-Roman War, and a lot of these Christians flee to Ephesus. And these, these Christians who were in Palestine, a lot of them were still under the direct influence of guys like John and uh, the other apostles who are still around, or the apostles 
disciples, basically, the apostle students. And so these, these guys, they move to cities like Ephesus, and they kind of lead the first great awakening, if you want to think of it in those terms, the first great revival. And they kind of draw people back to apostolic doctrine, you know, the, the teachings of God that, that Jesus himself taught and his apostles taught. And so... Um, and so John is writing in the midst of second and third generation Christians at this point who are starting to allow their culture, allow the, what their, their society and the world around them says and teaches and values to influence and distort and corrupt their Christianity, something that has always happened within Christianity. I mean, this is still within you know the first century. Jesus died roughly 33 to 36 AD. So this is within the lifetime of, of that happening and it's it's already distorting and and so there's a lot of people who are going away to these other Christian groups, these people who claim things that that aren't true basically about Jesus yet they're claiming to be Christians and that the, the, the churches are losing people to these new waves of Christianity that really aren't Christianity at all. That's what we talked about all the way through First John. Um, just very quickly, you know, some of the major things they taught were uh, docetism, that Jesus wasn't actually flesh. You know, and in our world, we struggle to think of um, a man being God. You know, we, we, we very are not... Super, the supernatural doesn't really play into our daily thinking, especially here in the West. Um, but back then, it was the opposite. They they just couldn't reconcile that a god would become man. Like they were on board with gods. Gods were everywhere. There are lots of gods, but they would never become fully human the way Jesus did. And so they they taught that if Jesus really was God, then you know he was just he appeared to be in flesh, even though he really wasn't. And you know he he really didn't suffer the cross. That was just the person he was possessing. And there's there's all kinds of strange stories. Go back to the first week of this study. Um, where I explain that really in depth, but basically they they teach these things that Jesus wasn't fully man, wasn't fully in the flesh, that he wasn't fully God, um, and all these things that, that would become full-blown Gnosticism about 30, 40, 50 years after John wrote these letters. Um, and so he's, he's writing to address that, these people falling away, the secessionists, as some commentators call them, these, these people who are seceding, leaving Orthodox Christianity as the apostles taught it, as Jesus taught it, and instead fleeing to this new secret knowledge, this new hidden information version of Christianity that looks very much like the Platonic, Plato-based ideas that were really, really popular in the world around him. And so John starts out this very, very short letter by addressing it to... The chosen lady. So let's read it. We're going to get to verse six today, um, which means we're going to get halfway through the entire letter today, and then next week we'll finish it up. Um, and so it says this it says, From the elder, the elder being John, that was John's nickname, that's what they had called him. I don't know if it's a play on the fact that he would have been old at this stage or if he was just, it was a sign of respect. It was probably both. Um, but it said, From the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, as indeed in addition to myself, do all those who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and is with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the Father, be with us in truth and love. I was delighted when I found some of your children walking in the truth, just as we received the commandment from the Father. And now, dear lady, I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the very beginning, that we should love one another. This is love, that we should, have, that we should behave in accordance with his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you heard it from the very start, that we should behave in accordance with it. All right, so three things you got to know every time you read anything, especially 
ancient texts or the Bible. Who wrote it? The Apostle John. We've talked about that in depth. Who is he writing to? Well, here he addresses the chosen lady. Now, that's kind of, kind of weird. Why doesn't he name the person? Well, because he's not writing to a person. Um, during this time, uh, this is post-Nero. If you're not familiar with history, just very quickly, Nero was the em emperor of Rome, and he was kind of a crazy person, which if you know his background, you understand why he's a crazy person. You would be too if you grew up like that. Regardless, um, he used Christians as a scapegoat um, because they were very unpopular, and so uh, there was a, a severe persecution in Rome um, before John's writing of this, and it was just expected that Christians would be persecuted. There was no great empire-wide persecution yet, but it was just kind of like the writings on the wall. And Christians were incredibly unpopular because they are viewed as unpatriotic. We, we'll talk about that later. If you have questions, reach out to me, email, text, phone call, whatever. Um, but the, the, base, the thing you need to know is that Christians were treated as unpatriotic, as causing problems because they made the gods mad, because they didn't participate in worship and stuff like that. And so Christians had to be careful. Like, they had to be careful about who they made it known that they were Christians to. It would have been obvious when Christians didn't show up to the pagan festivals or they didn't eat meat sacrificed to idols or, you know, these other things. They still probably viewed themselves as Jewish, except for the ones who, came, who are Gentiles. Um, but they still kind of probably associated with Judaism a lot at this point. Um, but regardless... Uh, it, it's safer to use code names, right? John writes this as though uh, it, it's a family letter. And so if he portrays, you know, the, the audience as, you know, uh, his, his, the chosen lady and he talks about her kids, it, it sounds like a family letter and it might be safer for everybody involved, especially his readers. Um, we know that John was arrested multiple times for his faith. So it's not like this is an unfounded, like, paranoid thing. Like, you know, there's a reason that he was the longest surviving apostle by a long shot. Most of them died very young and very violently because Christianity was viewed the way it was. Um, and so the, the audience is the chosen lady, this church. We don't know if it's a church within Ephesus or if it's somewhere else in the region. We don't know these things, but we know it's one that, that he has encountered members of. He says... Um, and verse 4, that he was delighted when he found some of her children walking in truth. You know, so basically he's starting out this letter by, by pointing to truth, right? If you remember from our study of 1 John, you know John is very, very repetitive. He goes topic A, then topic B with a little bit of topic C, and then topic A, B, C with a little bit of topic D, and then he just keeps going and he always repeats and re recycles back to topic A, and topic A is almost always Love, And that's what he's doing here. Um, truth and love is basically what he is talking about here. Now, uh, it, it basically we have to, in order to understand the rest of this letter, we need to recap very quickly from what is truth and what is love. Because, because he says that they are walking in truth and that's what gets him excited. Well, what is the truth? Well, he says the truth is the commandment that we have from the Father. And that commandment, if you remember from the Gospels, Jesus' greatest commandment is to love one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ and love the world around us because we all are saved. Doesn't or What I mean by that is we all are saved by His grace, not by anything that we have done. And so if God showed us this kind of love, we have to do our best to try to show that to others around us. We're going to fail at it because we're human and we're broken and we're flawed, um, and He's God. But we have to aim for that mark. We have to aim for that, that bullseye of showing the same love that was shown to us to the world around us. And so basically He says that 
if we want to be a follower of Christ, if we want to keep doing the thing that Jesus wants us to do, we have to keep his commandments. And the commandment is to love one another. And love is keeping the commandment. And the response of desiring to do those things is to live our lives according to, uh, according to it. And so that's kind of going to be the theme of this, this letter, even though it's, we're halfway done. It's, it's really short. But the idea is that he is he's fi- going to fight against people who are pulling members of churches away by denying this, this core command, by denying this core truth. The truth of the gospel of Jesus as the Messiah. And here's the the takeaway, right? The thing that I want you to like walk away knowing. It's that to keep the commandment of love is to recognize your own helplessness. And when you recognize your own helplessness, you, you recognize the greatness of God. You recognize just what has truly been done for you. And when you recognize that, it leads you to realize that he's done that for everybody. And it's not that we need to go and be this super-duper evangelistic, share the gospel with everybody, big, extroverted personality, but it's, it's that we need to be intentional about letting people know. Like, explaining to them, like, hey, this is it. It's not that you have to get your act together before you can come to church. Like, it's that God's already done all the work, and you just have to accept it, that you just have to live in love, and, and, and who doesn't want that? I mean, I know it sounds kind of like backwards or, or maybe unmanly that to say, you know, just love people is maybe a little too hippy-dippy, but the, who doesn't want to feel loved? Who doesn't want to know that they are loved? Who doesn't want to have the confidence and self-esteem that, that, that comes from knowing that you are worth being loved? And everybody wants that. Everybody needs that. And the sad truth is everybody has it. And either Christians don't show each other that and show the world that, like they don't live that out being Jesus' hands and feet by being the, the, the love to the world around them and to each other. We fight with each other. We, we, we hurt each other. When Jesus says, no, love one another, that's my command. Love as I have loved you and show the world that. So that's what I want you to take away from this, that, that if you want to follow Jesus, I mean really do. I'm not saying like you are a cultural Christian, like you identify as a Christian, you check that box, you go to church a couple times a year. I'm saying if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to keep this commandment and it has to show up in your life. If you have any questions uh, or, or just, you know, want to chat it up, like reach out to me. Um, my, my information's on the church website, Um Otherwise... I'll see you next week.